Ready? Yep. One, two. One, two, three, four. Well, hello there. You are tuning in to another episode of The Yamcast. My name is Erica. And I'm Chris. And we like to talk to young adults, specifically through the lens of the Bible. We like to go through books of the Bible to keep it in context. And right now we're going through Hosea. Yes, we are. And if you want to reach us, do so on any of the socias. The kids call them these days at the Yamcast or email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. And we love hearing from you because then we work it into future episodes and give you stickers. Mm-hmm. There you go. So shit. And if you're just catching up and you started, like, I've watched our listenership just start tracking a lot in the last couple months. Oh, okay. So if some, I think people are going from the beginning and catching all the way up. If you've caught us now from few years ago or a couple years ago good good for you yeah i'm impressed uh we've grown a lot since then our equipment is better yeah i I actually think i need to go take pictures of where we started (laughs) can we do that one time we should totally you should we should go and show how we started yeah and we could do the (laughs) meme of like where it started and where it's going yes you did that with the baby i think i did Kind of like, where, like your, how it started where your relationship and, started and then uh, yeah. the baby. I did that. Oh, I did that with the marriage and that. Yeah. yeah. And of course the baby was part of the. Where, yes, it was. Yeah. Where it's at now. Um, I think that's actually how, yeah, how I said we were pregnant. Yeah, that sounds right. That seems like a long time ago. Well, I did it like six months in. <laughs> but it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> I know. It's, it's uh, kind of crazy. The, the world is mm-hmm. insane all the time right now. Because yeah, when we, Yeah. I should. I'm we started go. this podcast before COVID. <laughs> we did. <laughs> we did. Oh, Three months before and that's, then, whoa. That's hilarious. Yeah. Good times. Well, shall we do a read through of Hosea chapter 12? Yeah, we're nearing the end. You're probably like, thank goodness. The, honestly, the last <laughs> two chapters are the coolest two. So we're just prepping. We're almost you. to the coolest parts. Yeah, they're, the, they're beautiful and they're really well done. But you got to sludge through all this junk to mm-hmm. get to them. So with that Still said, good things, even though all good things, all good, even things. though it may sound repetitive and redundant. Oh, all good and things. Repetitive and, redundant. and by all good things, I mean all bad things, all bad things. Yes, right. That's this true. is not good for Israel. No. So here we go. Chapter 12, which verse one actually is a carryover from chapter 11, but we're, we're reading it in chapter 12. It's all it's all good. So here it says, Ephraim feeds on the wind. He pursues the east wind all day and multiplies lies and violence. He makes a treaty with Assyria and sends olive oil to Egypt. So this reminded me of Solomon and how he made treaties by marrying people. Sure. Um, What did he have? 700 wives? Did I make that up? I think it's 700 wives and 300 concubines or, or those numbers are flipped. Yeah. Regardless, a thousand a women. A lot, yeah. And and I mean, a lot of, and I don't know if they were all done for treaties, but I know like he married a princess from sure. Egypt. And that definitely is, because that's how you create a lot of treaties yeah. is by marrying sure. and bringing them into the fold. But so that's kind of what that reminded me of is them making treaties. And that's why he would, that's why Solomon made those treaties so that he would have peace with those people. Right. And that's why 
they're making a treaty with Assyria. That's why they're sending olive oil to Egypt is to kind of like appease them and, and to keep, keep the peace instead of just trusting God and doing what they need to be doing so that God can have their back. They're kind of creating that peace themselves. So making treaties and giving things away to make sure that they're good with the people around them instead of just doing what God says to do. Exactly. No, that's exactly what's going on. And there's a little piece of it that I'm going to bring up in the deeper dive, which is fun. So verse two, the Lord has a charge to bring against Judah. He will punish Jacob or Yaqub according to his ways and repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel as a man. He struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord Almighty, the Lord is his name. So this is referring to Jacob, who then is called Israel, right? Yes. Because that's the wrestles with God means Israel. Also clung to his brother's heel, yes. the whole thing. Yep, because Jacob and Esau were born at the same time. And uh, Esau, the name means red because he's hairy and redheaded. He's a fiery boy. What if we were, what if that was how we did names? I know. It'd be weird. Yeah, you were called like brunette or like freckle nose or or uh, gray hair. Yeah, or silver fox. No eyebrows or. I have eyebrows. What I'm not talk- talking about you. What are you talking about in general? <laughs> we talking about Erica? This is messed up. <laughs> I wasn't talking about you. I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. I'm meaning most babies are actually born without eyebrows, so you would just call them like no. blue-eyed, eyebrowless person. Yeah. Anyways, I just feel like that'd be so interesting if that's how we named people nowadays is yeah. based on what they came out of the womb. It would be weird. Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He grasped his heel. We're going to call him grasps heel. He's a heel grasper, <laughs> which actually is why we use the term pulling pulling the leg for someone who's a fibber. Did you or know like that? like a trickster or like. Did you know that? That that's yeah. actually all connected. I do remember hearing that. Yeah. Because S- that's what Jacob ends up doing with Esau is tricking him. Yeah. A few times. Jacob tricks multiple people. His dad, mm, his brother, yes. even his father-in-law. He tricks him at one point. Uh, and the reason why this story comes up is he tries to trick God. He tries to make some kind of weird negotiation with the angel, and the angel won't mess with it. And so Jacob loses. Uh, and then at that point, Jacob spends the rest of his adult life Still struggling and wrestling, but he has a mark now from what his his hip is out of place because mm. of, of the wrestling with the angel. So partly what the writer here, Hosea, what Hosea is saying is, I don't want to say it's somewhat controversial. It's almost like tongue-in-cheek, you know, or elbowing. Mm. Why would we think Israel's not going to try to trick God because mm. this is what we've done from the beginning? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So it's almost this is how we started as a people. Yeah, it's almost this conversation of this is what we are. This is the nature of our entire relationship with God. So why now, when chapters four through eleven of Hosea are talking all about all of our issues, why would God be surprised? Because this is just who we are. This is what we do. We we wrestle with God. We don't like what he has to say. We try to go find other ways to deal with situations. Negotiate. Marry yeah. other people, all this stuff. Why are we surprised? That's mm-hmm. part of what Jose is saying in sort okay. of a tongue-in-cheek way. That was the question I was going to ask is, yeah, what, what does, why is this here? And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, and, I, and it's really genius if you think about it. 
and and really the fact even that word Israel means wrestles with God shouldn't surprise us that Israel spends their entire history wrestling with God, even to the point where they put him on a cross. Yeah. Which is, yeah. And that's not an anti, you know, Jewish thing. It's not, I mean, not being anti-Semitic as some people might assume, but the fact is the Jewish religious leaders know that they're right and that Jesus is wrong. So that's why they have him put to death. Ironically, Jesus is right. Some of those religious leaders turned to him afterward. Mm-hmm. And well, and thank you for like saying religious leaders because it is them who spearhead this whole thing. Sure, it's not. Yeah, it's he ju- had plenty of. I don't want to say regular Jewish people, but just the everyday Jewish person that was following him, and whatnot. So it spearheading it was not not the whole Jewish people. It, it was. Yeah, and I think speaking of our time today, it's actually really close to, you know, I made the mistake the other day of saying to somebody, Russia, Russia bad. They said, what's the news of the day? I'm like, Russia bad. And they're like, well, not Russia. I'm like, well, okay, you're like, right. You're right, yeah. The, the leaders of the, the nation, what, all of them that are doing this thing, the vast majority of Russians aren't even in support of what's, no. what's happening. So for me to just say Russia bad is really dumb. Just like if I said, you know, America bad. That's not really true. And even if I agreed with one party versus another, that other party's not bad. It's just we're all doing what we think is right. That That's part of we're doing what's right in our own eyes. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. So if you go back to this, you're right. It's not really the Jews who put Jesus on the cross. It's it's a, a few yeah. people. But the, the crowd did join in and yes. kind of make it happen, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Verse 6, but you must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. The merchant uses dishonest scales and loves to defraud. Ephraim boasts, I am very rich. I have become wealthy. With all my wealth, they will not find in me any iniquity or sin. So my questions with this chunk of scripture is, are they, is Hosea talking about Israel being the dishonest merchant, meaning that they are gaining their wealth dishonestly. And then basically because they have wealth, they're thinking that they will be almost like good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how much all of these things totally correlate. I'm not sure if he's saying that, that Israel is a dishonest merchant or if, Israel has received wealth like a dishonest merchant. Who knows? Mm, Do you know what I'm okay, saying? Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know what's metaphor and what's simile and what's not. There's so many amazing turns of phrase throughout the Old Testament. So I would read it as, if you go back to verse 6, maintain love and justice, wait for your God always, which means do things his way, return to him, <laughs> act like he wants you to. And you're going to see that come up in chapter 14. Act like God wants you to, do things his way, just as a merchant uses dishonest scales and loves to defraud, you have done the same. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's implying yeah, in verse yeah. 7. And then what's ironic is you've been doing this dishonestly, then verse 8, but yet you're boasting, I'm wealthy. Look what God has given me. I've got all these things. And because I'm mm-hmm. wealthy, you know that I'm a good person. And he's like, that doesn't jive. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense. Just because you're wealthy doesn't mean that you're honest. And just because you're rich doesn't mean God's on your side. Yeah, and I like what you said about, I just find that to be very true of, look at all that I have, God has blessed me. And it's like that, those two things don't always go together. 
It's a very common thing in America too, and especially whether we're talking about the health and wealth gospel or prosperity mm-hmm. gospel, we might call it. Just this idea that because I have nice stuff, God must love me. And it's like, well, no. I mean, and the flip side of that, you could have you, know? you could have nothing, and God's God loves everybody. The and He's, you might say, well, He's blessing me. Oh, sure. But I also know people who have stuff that that's their biggest downfall. So stuff doesn't always make a blessing. I I love having this conversation in Haiti. I don't know if you had this conversation with people, but where we're in Haiti and they're like, oh, I just I'm so blessed. I'm just so grateful for what God's given me. And I'm like, that kid with a milk carton truck is way happier than your kid who's got an iPhone. Mm-hmm. You could say you're blessed, but you're just you're wasting your time with stuff that costs way more money. You're not blessed. You're distracted. Yeah. And, and that's usually a harsh statement that they don't like hearing and they get mad at me and, you know, never yeah, go back to Haiti or whatever. But the fact is I can find someone who feels blessed any part of the world if they have Jesus. If you have yeah. Jesus, you're blessed. The Whether you have stuff or not doesn't make you blessed. Mm-hmm. And most people I know that have stuff that are following Jesus are trying to give that stuff away. Which is the point. That is, well, yeah. yeah. All right, I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> Just one second while I step down from the soapbox, everyone. All right, verse 9. I have been the Lord your God ever since you came out of Egypt. I will make you live in tents again and in the days of your appointed festival. I spoke to the prophets, gave them many visions, and told parables through them. So the living in tents again reminds me of them basically traveling through the wilderness. Yeah. So you're going to be lost again. Right. Kind of in exiled. a way. Yeah. yeah, exiled in some way. And then him just reminding them that, like, he is the same that he's always been. And he's used, yeah, he's used prophets, obviously, to deliver those messages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That they don't listen to. Yeah. So, you know, I've sent prophets your way, you don't listen. I'll send more prophets your way, you're just not going to listen all the more. It kind of reminds me of where Jesus is dealing with the rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man just says, go back and... You know, he tells Lazarus, the dead person who's in Abraham's bosom and the rich man's down in hell or show or mm. whatever word we mm. want to use. And he just mm. says to the to Lazarus, now go tell my relatives that, that you were right the whole time and I was wrong. And he's like, no, if I, no. And so Jesus says, eventually, you have all the words that you need in the prophets. If you haven't obeyed those yet, even a dead man coming back to life won't cause you to change your mind. And I'm like, Oh, that seems like a like a push forward. A you know, yeah, Jesus is probably talking about himself there, but good times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Verse eleven is Gilead wicked; its people are worthless. That's a nice thing to say about somebody. Yeah, do they sacrifice bulls in Gilgal? Their altars will be like piles of stone on a plowed field. Okay, so this is Gilead of Judges, right? Yep. Now, what is, I might have asked this before, what, but obviously, I don't know if I recall. What is Gilgal? Where is Gilgal? Same type of thing. Both of those are judges' uh, stories. They're just places. Okay. Gilead okay. is a... But not good. They didn't, not good things happened there. No. Bad, okay. bad things I mean, happened. I do remember Gilead. That was not great. Correct. Um, Gilgal's in the same boat. Okay. Yeah. So what it's saying is just, you know what... You know what those two towns are like. It would be like, I don't know today what people would think in the United States, but you might say, just like Vegas yeah. and what what other one would you use? 
Miami, maybe. Oh, that's a, that's, that's probably a good know. one, right? Just like Miami and, and Las Vegas. Do you think that God is being worshipped in those places? And everyone will be like, no. That, ironically, God is oh, God is being yes. worshipped in those places by certain individuals, but you understand the point. So then for him to say their altars will be like piles of stones on a plowed field. If you plow a field and then get stones thrown in your field, you are very frustrated. You have done all of the work. And now the field is completely worthless. What a great, great illustration. I, the Bible's full of these things where if you just stop and read them for a second, you go, what? Oh, that's pretty harsh, right? So instead of building altars, you just threw piles of stones in a plowed field. That farmer's going to be ticked. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to be ticked at yourself. I, why did I do this? This is stupid. So it becomes useless. Mm-hmm. Jacob fled to the country of Aram. Israel served to get a wife, and to pay for her, he tended sheep. So is this Leah and Rachel? It's got to be. Yeah, that's what I was imagining. I mean, Israel, he had to serve seven years to hopefully get Rachel. He ends up getting Leah and serves another seven years to then get Rachel. Right. So the the bride price, he had nothing when he got to Laban's house. He sees Rachel, thinks she's beautiful, says, Yo, Laban, what's it going to (laughs) take? For me to marry that girl, right? And Laban says, well, you, what do you have to give me? I have nothing. I ran from my parents. I'm My brother's trying to kill me. Like I have literally nothing. The clothes my, on my back. My brother's trying to kill me. I had a dream, though, a little bit ago where I saw a stairway to heaven. That totally sells that to you. Yeah, dad. I'd be like, um, yeah. I don't you're, think I want you in my yeah, family. You're a nut job. We're out. Yeah. So Laban then says, well, why don't you work for seven years and you can marry Rachel? So he works for seven years. And during the marriage celebration where he gets a little tipsy, he wakes up the next morning and he doesn't have Rachel in his tent. He has Leah. The trickster's been tricked. Correct. And his response to being tricked is, so how much will it cost for, for, <laughs> for one Rachel? One track mind. How much will it cost for the one that I want? And ironically, I think most people think he worked seven years and then marries Rachel. The text seems to suggest he marries Rachel and then works oh, seven more okay, years. Okay. So imagine marrying two daughters within a week of each other. One is very, very beautiful, as he puts it, and one is weak in the eyes, which means she's not that good to look at. Think of how those two sisters got along. Yeah, I don't. I mean, the text kind of says they didn't really get along. I'm sure Thanksgiving long. was a delightful experience. I, again, I'm aware they didn't have Thanksgiving <laughs> before you email me. Crass, Thanksgiving is fairly recent. <laughs> fairly. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> emailer. Yes, I'm aware. But you get the idea. The but ghost- still email us. You yeah. don't mind the emails. Please. And you can even send me that email. It just won't, it won't, I won't respond to it because there's no point. But the fact is, just imagine dinners at that house, you know. <laughs> Tense. Intense. <laughs> Oh, that's great. All right, verse 13. The Lord used a prophet to bring Israel up from Egypt. By a prophet, he cared for him. So is this referring to Joseph? Sure. Okay. I mean, it seems likely. Because he would be, he is the prophet from, I mean, he ended up getting taken to Egypt. and. Sure. The thing is, there are multiple leaving Egypt stories in the Bible of the Israelites. So we could be talking about Abram because he, you know, if you're going to go with the definition that Abram has Israel in his body, he just doesn't know it yet. Mm, Okay. That's the case that multiple biblical authors make. 
So it could be Abram, could be Jacob, technically it could be Isaac, I suppose. So it could be Abram, could be Isaac, could be Jacob, could be Moses, so on and so forth. So by the time they're reading this, they, they're fully aware that, that you need a voice person from God to get you out of Egypt. Mm. Okay. And that God will send you a prophet to care for you and move you from the place of slavery to a place of freedom. And Hosea right now is that prophet mm. calling you from a place of slavery to a place of freedom. Are you listening? And the answer is no. No, they are not. All right. Verse 14, but Ephraim has aroused his bitter anger. His Lord will leave on him the guilt of his bloodshed and will repay him for his contempt. Good I mean, times. a good, good way to end, right? Gotta love chapter 12. Does it make you feel better or worse having read that chapter just now? Um, Do you feel so warm and fuzzy? I mean, I like, I like the history of this chapter. Like the, yeah, talking about through um, Leah and Rachel. And sure. Possibly Moses or Joseph and Israel and Jacob. Like I like that, yeah, reflection, I guess. But you also have to just remind yourself that, like, they're not in a good place. No. You know? And going back to something that we were just talking about, I don't know if you picked this up, but the fact that Leah and Rachel are two women and Jacob is so in pursuit of Rachel that he'll do whatever it takes to get her back is very similar to the Hosea Gomer Mm, story from the very beginning of this. So chapter 12 is sort of the final chapter of judgment. Chapter 13 is going to be, now I, I love you. Uh, so here's why I'm going to do what I'm going to do. It's sort of the final. We've mul- multiple times brought this up, and 13 is just kind of sort of, you know, stick the nail in the coffin kind of deal. And then 14 is just going to be just beautiful. Mm. Watch this come to fruition. And then there's a little tag on the end of 14 that's super important. So as much as 12 doesn't make us feel better, it definitely is a good chapter for us and makes us go, oh, yeah. And the history lesson reminds us this is just the nature of Israel yeah. from the beginning of the story. But clearly, there's other people in the Israelite history who do what God wants them to do. So it's not like it's all bad, but there's enough. Which is kind of what we talked about when we try to lump people as all, like when sure. we talk about Russia or the Jews or whatever. Right. It's like, no, there are still, they're not all one or the other. Sure. So. And just because you and I live in Illinois doesn't mean that we're corrupt politicians who deserve to go to jail. No. But most of Illinois is. Well, the politicians. I'm saying the politicians. <laughs> most most of the politicians of Illinois are are, are not good people, uh, at least as far as the court records show us. But not all. Of course, not all. Yes, because like you can't. Yeah, it can't. No, I'm be, saying there's good can't ones. Be all, you know, but but if you tell a joke about a politician in Illinois, you'd laugh, and then the, the good ones accurate. would probably laugh as well because they're like, yeah, it's, it's pretty accurate. Pretty and then it makes us disappointed to live in the state. And then we think, how do I get out? What do I need to do? Uh, U-Haul. Yeah, right. Penske. There's a couple of companies that would get you out of here. <laughs> All right, now it's time for the deeper dive. Hey, before we dive into the deeper dive, uh, did you see Aaron Rodgers signed a huge contract today? I did see that. That's ridiculous. I mean, I didn't see what the contract was. I didn't see any of that. But I just saw that he will not be going to the Broncos. 
no, that they, Russell Wilson is going yeah, to the Broncos, which Russell. I did not see happening. But $200 million for Aaron Rodgers for four years. Is there a deeper dive than that? Oh, just, I, Well, my thing is... It's a lot of money. There's There was actually kind of part of me that was maybe just hoping we could maybe just be done yeah, and I move on a little bit because he's been dangling the Super Bowl in front of Green Bay fans for too many years now and just can't quite... Get there. Get her done. And he is a very good quarterback. So we keep being like, what's going on? What's And like this last year, the team was very well, like very good all around him. Sure. And he still, oh, couldn't do it. It's bad. That was a bad game. Anyways. Sorry. We just went into sports mode. But I, when I thought of the deeper dive, but I again, just thought. But again, it's it, ridiculous. That could be the kind of thing that sinks the Packers. It S- could. Putting $50 million into a quarterback for four years just seems a little crazy. But moving on to things that are actually important from the Bible. Yes. All right. Yes, verse, right? verse 1 of chapter 12. Things that actually impact our lives. Since this was a while ago that we read it, you know, a few minutes ago. Most of us have lost our train of thought at this point, so let me go back and read it. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 1. Ephraim feeds on the wind. He pursues the east wind all day and multiplies lies and violence. I just want to show you how if you spend a little time studying, thinking, processing, and going, what is going on here? You can figure some of this stuff out in the Bible. Okay, so let me show you how. This is why it's a deeper dive. Ephraim feeds on the wind, and we go, well, yeah, wind is a good thing. It keeps people cool. Things are good, right? You know what I'm saying? Like if you read that, you're just thinking, oh, yeah, I like a nice cool breeze in the summertime, right? Or the other mm-hmm. night there was the first thunderstorm of spring, and I thought, I like the wind. Here we go. This isn't a blizzard. This is like legit. I know, and then we got snow. The next, <laughs> <laughs> the next day it snowed. But, the, but line two here is interesting. He pursues the east wind all day. And normally we just read over phrases like this. Mm -hmm. And I want to just pause for a second and I want you to think, where is Israel? Israel is right on the Mediterranean Sea. It is to the west of Israel is the Mediterranean. What is to the east of Israel? Mountains, right? Sure. Sure, but not the right hand. Well, no, it is. But what's just past those mountains? Desert. Desert. In the east is desert. When you get to the east, the east wind throughout all of scripture and in Israel in general, if you want the east wind, you're an idiot. Well, because it would just be hot. Yeah. So I was in the Dead Sea on a day that it was 115 degrees. When the wind blew, which was the east wind, by the way, it did not satisfy anyone. <laughs> you know how like when you get in a car and it's super hot in the summertime uh-huh. and you turn on the air full blast and all you have <laughs> is hot air at it, you and you're and it just it dries your mouth out and you just feel completely dissatisfied and you hate your life. And you're like, why did I do that? And you're you almost sometimes I don't know about you, but I turn the air off and wait to get a little ways down uh-huh. the road and then I try it again to see if it's gotten cool yet. And if not, I turn it back off and then back on. Mm-hmm. And eventually I notice that it's starting to get cool. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's the idea here. So what Ephraim is saying what it, what it, what the Hosea is saying about Ephraim is Ephraim feeds on the wind and we're like, well yeah, the wind's great. He's like chasing the east wind. And we're like, that's he's an idiot. Like, what is he doing? Mm-hmm. That is the most unsatisfying wind of all the time. And then the next line, and multiplies lies and violence. And you're like, well, of course he is, because he's seeking comfort in things that won't bring him comfort. Mm. And then when you get to he multiplies lies and violence, and you go, 
whoa, that is amazing poetry. I mean, it's just layered and beautiful, right? He feeds on the wind and you think, oh, I don't know about you, but like when I first read that line a couple of weeks ago when we were getting ready for this, mm-hmm. I just thought, yeah, I feed on the wind too. I love a really good, you know, if I'm running a good breeze from to my back cools me down on a hot mm-hmm. day and says, you know, go a couple more miles. You can do this. But then when I read pursues the east wind all day, I said, let me dig into that a little bit. Why would they pick out the east wind? Why would they say pursues the east wind all day? And the idea there is he's just trivial. Like he's the most, he's Pinocchio, right? He's just a dumb wooden puppet running around doing whatever he wants to do, expecting things to get better, Mm -hmm. right? I'm a real boy. So he's pursuing the east wind all day and multiplies lies and violence. He's pursuing these things and chasing these things that do not satisfy. They just make his life more and more and more miserable. And then the last line, he makes a treaty with Assyria and sends olive oil to Egypt. So back to what you started with today. Mm -hmm. This does feel like Solomon chasing after all of the things that are not going to Mm. satisfy. So what does Solomon say? It's like pursuing the wind, right? It's meaningless, meaningless. meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And in moments like this, and as you dive into the scriptures a little deeper, if you just stop for a second and maybe write a little note and say, what's to the east? You know what I'm saying? Because this this could have just said he pursues the wind all day and you would never even think about it. But if there's a detail like east or west or north or south or something else that's thrown out, whether it's a country like Assyria or Egypt, you should just stop yourself and put a little line in your Bible or if you're not comfortable with that, write it out in the notebook next to you. And if you're not studying your Bible with a notebook nearby or you know some kind of app to keep track of notes or something, you're doing yourself a disservice. Because if you just stop for a second and say, man, what is this saying? it'll start to unlock the poetry that's being used and you'll go, holy cow. And it doesn't take long to go east wind. What's in the east? <laughs> the desert. Oh boy. And then you start reading a little bit and you realize the east wind is like the worst wind in, in Israel. They all just, they hate it. It's like the worst type of wind. You want a cool wind coming out of the west, right? Yeah. You want you want the Mediterranean cool breeze that's bringing rain or bringing moisture of some kind or humidity. But when you're in the Dead Sea and it's 115 degrees and the wind starts coming out of the east, you're thinking, this is stupid. I'd rather not have it. So you climb into a 90-degree salt bath that you float in just to receive some comfort from the day. Mm. That's terrible. Mm -hmm. And that's what Ephraim is doing. So that there is the deeper dive. So let's get practical. Let's get practical. Practical. Mm -hmm. So I have a couple for us today. One kind of came to me while we were studying this. Um, so I think we can often forget that God is the same always. And when I say that... He never changes. Yeah, when I say that, you obviously are like, well, no, I always know that. Like, I don't ever worry about that. But our circumstances can often cloud our knowledge of God. Mm-hmm. And then we question things we actually know to be true. We know that God is good, that he cares for us and he wants what's good for us. He is on our side, that he is loving. Like, we know all those things to be true, but then things happen, and they make us question that. So, like, what's that? There's, like, a saying about, you know, don't doubt in the dark what God knew to be true. I think I saw that. Yeah. I actually kind of looked it up, and it was V. Raymond Edmund. Give him credit. Um, I actually wondered if it was a Bible verse. It's not. No. But it seems like it could be. But It doesn't make it not true. No, it's very true. Yes. I'm with you. Yes. Yeah, I'm with you. Um. But don't doubt in the dark what you knew to be true in the light. And I think it's his wording is a little different than that, but it's the same, the sure. same gist. 
circumstances may change, but our God is still the same. And we, we know these things to be true when things are going great, when we're in the light, when things are fine. And then when things get cloudy or when things happen that make thing, make us question things, then we're in the dark and then we kind of forget what was true. Mm-hmm. He is the same God that brought them out of Egypt, powerful, doing impossible things, providing, caring. And he will still be that way even when they are going to be facing crazy hardships in the coming days. Hardships they actually have brought on themselves and he's still going to be providing and caring and doing impossible things, even though they deserve all of the stuff that's coming to them. Yeah. He's gracious and is not going to make them actually go through all of that. Yeah. I mean, he going through all of that, yes, but providing even in the midst of it. Yeah. No, that's a really good word. And I think when you think about Hosea, not all men would go back and buy back their bride. Yeah. But what Hosea is doing is what God told him to do. And Hosea is being faithful because he knows God is faithful and God is telling him to do it because he wants everyone to know this is how much I love you and we'll do that. So even when you're in that dark moment, the reason why sayings like that are so true is we can't doubt that God's real, that God's there. He's going to walk us through it. It's the valleys that scare us, but it's the valleys that make us grow. And it's the valleys Mm -hmm. that actually challenge our faith and help us to become who we're supposed to be. But we just push out of it and, run away or we send olive oil to Egypt <laughs> yeah, right. right, to try to get ourselves out of it. And it's like, God's got a better plan for you. Trust it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, really the valleys and the dark times are what actually challenge, I guess, what we learned in the light. Absolutely. Right. Like they, do you actually believe that? Do you actually think that to be true? So another thing that I was thinking of that I think is really applicable to us in America, we talked about that a little bit, um, but also for just young people, is just this idea of wealth and that, that that doesn't necessarily mean that God is on your side or God is in it right. or that if you don't have it, that that means not, God isn't on your side and God's not in it. Um, it can mean some of those things, like God could be blessing you, but as we talked about, if he's blessing you with money, it's not for you to to then bless yourself. Right. It's for you to bless other people. Right. Like he's not going to give you extra of something for you to use it on yourself. Right. He's going to give you extra of something to use for other people. So that, I mean, that could be time. That could be, that could be money. That could be any sort of resources. That could be, I somehow stumbled on this really large house. What am I going to do with it? And maybe it's not just so you can enjoy all the rooms. Um, so just really thinking about especially young adults, I think you go into college and you, you think, I want to be successful. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm secure and comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we are called to do. That we're called to serve. And we're called to use what we have to serve. And really just wanting to, to steer you away from, yeah, that kind of um, prosperity gospel that if, if everything's good, then God must be there. That's not always. Sometimes God actually gives you the desires of your heart to try to win you back and mm-hmm. make you realize that those aren't things that you actually want. Yeah. Yeah. What if God gave you what you wanted to prove to you that you didn't need it? That's not a fun thought, but. No. But it's biblical. It is. Yeah. I mean, he talks about it in Romans. 
And that's a scary thing. You don't really want to be there. Right. So you want to constantly be humble and self-aware and understanding, like, what are your weaknesses so that you don't end up, like, falling into them, you know? Totally. Council Corner with Erica. So the Council Corner today, I would like, uh, you know, Chris and I just to really talk about where we're like in the world right now, like sure, and with Russia and the Ukraine and, and what do we like, what do we do at a time like this? Like what, yeah. Like what are we, it can feel really helpless. It can feel um, like prayer isn't enough. It can feel almost like prayer can almost be trivial in a, you know, in a sense, like it's just, it's, it's not enough. And right. so, yeah, like what, what would your advice be to, especially young people who, I mean, this is for anybody, but I feel like young people especially have a drive to, um, to correct injustice, sure. you know, and to correct oppression and to correct things that are wrong. And so I can imagine, I know I'm feeling it. I know you're feeling it. I know. Mm-hmm. And so I just imagine that they are feeling it even more so of like, this isn't right and I don't like it and I don't necessarily know what to do with it when I'm thousands and thousands of miles away. Sure. And I can't actually like tangibly do anything, you know? Right. So what would your advice be? Yeah. And young people typically want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And this is a great opportunity to feel like you can be a part of something bigger. Uh, I honestly would reach out to either your pastor or any number of organizations. So if you're going to crew or if you're in, you know, InterVarsity, they likely have chapters or some type of ministry leader in Russia right now or in Ukraine right now that are actively involved in some way. And so I would find people with boots on the ground and find out how you can tangibly help them. So right now our church, we have a number of people that are on the ground in Ukraine and in right around Ukraine who are just starting to receive refugees or just starting to reach out to us and say, hey, here's what we need. Here's here's what this looks like. So they've only asked us to pray up to this point, but they're starting to say, hey, we're going to need this, this, or this. And those needs are going to be met by some people there, you know, so our friends in Romania or Belarus might just say, mm-hmm. hey, the neighbor down the street's got a few of these things and be able to take care of this. But the days are going to come in the near future where – that's not going to take care of itself and these people are going to need more. So I don't know if you've seen, but there's some really clever <laughs> ways to get money to people in Ukraine, such as there are a bunch of people in Ukraine that are setting up their house as an Airbnb mm. and you can actually go online and rent their house and never actually go stay at their house. But they're receiving, but they're the, receiving money. the money instantaneously. That's a really good idea. So there's a bunch of people that are doing things like that. So honestly, if you just go online and just type in ways to help Ukraine, you might find some really creative, clever solutions uh, to get your finances all the way over there. And their banks are still open. The Russian banks are starting to close. Uh, and even in that, you need to be praying for the Russian people because a lot of them are suffering unnecessarily. Like they're not in favor of this thing, and yet no. they're totally, you know, they're not able to access their their phone or their bank or their Netflix. And, you know, who needs Netflix at a time like this? But, but, uh, but like they're being cut off from a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. So my big advice would start with find boots on the ground, find people that you've got connections with, 
And if your ministry leader doesn't have one, I guarantee your pastor does. And if your pastor doesn't, that pastor's district or some type of national movement does. If you're in a you know a tiny non-denominational, non-affiliated church of some kind, that's great. I love that. But they may not have the network that they need. So maybe even have your pastor reach out to the other pastors in the area. And we're able to do more with more. So if, if we're all able to bond together and figure that out, then do it. So right now we're talking to two different agencies and then we have five missionaries that are in the area right now. And we're hearing updates from them constantly and asking, all right, what do you need from us? At the moment we're being told pray and hold tight. Uh, but the moment that we have, you know, Hey, we need $50,000 to do this. We're the type of church that can say, Hey everybody, we need $50,000 do this. And three weeks later, mm-hmm. we're sending a check, which is, I love that we get to do those, those things, yeah, you know, yeah. we, we did. Be part of it. Yeah, it's kind of neat. And then you, even if you just threw like a hundred bucks in, you feel like, whoa, this is amazing. Look what I was a part of. So yeah. What about you? What, do, what would be your advice? Yeah. I mean, I felt, I mean, just like lamenting mm-hmm. to God about it. Like that's a, I mean, it, it's, it's just a good thing to do when you feel like you can't do anything else is, and God knows all of these things obviously, but just mm-hmm. like, saying to him like I don't know what to do like I don't know I can't do anything but besides talk about how wrong this is and how this is not fair and um I ended up giving to this organization called World Central Kitchen which they are right there in Ukraine giving food out and like they work with like chefs that's awesome like and so it's I mean not that a sandwich is not okay, but like, it's like legit good food too, that these people are doing, um, and giving out like right at the border, like a huge, they had videos, a huge cauldron of just soup that people are ladling out, able to, to eat right away. So I think that's something too, is if you can find some of those organizations that are doing something for the refugees, um, because yeah, this one is right at the border on both sides, yep. um, able to help them to, to help them do that. But I think a lot of what it is is, yeah, just being honest with God about how you feel and being honest um, with, like, where you're at and, and, and even asking God to open up things for you so that you can see he might bring something up and you'll be paying attention because you're actually focusing on it. So um, it can be hard to not feel like you know what to do, but there are things to do. Like you can look up lots of different places um, to give or ask um, what they might need. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I also want to remind you that prayer is is good and is impactful. And sure. and in a lot of ways, yes, it it's great. God doesn't necessarily need it, but it's more for us, and that's why we need to be doing it, especially if you're feeling angsty about it. Then prayer is probably what you need to be doing first. Absolutely. And I would say that's especially true because God can even use people doing evil to do great things. So even as we're reading in Hosea, he doesn't want his people to go into exile, but he's going to use the exile to drive them to the direction they're supposed to go. So while we're all watching this and just horrified that this is happening and rightfully so, yes. I also believe and know that God is sovereign. And even in the midst of this, as we pray, he's listening, he knows us, he's, but he also has a much bigger plan. So at times where it may feel like he's not doing enough or he's not doing this or he's not doing that, we're usually amazed years later when we find out, whoa, that happened here. 
So like I know for a fact that right now the gospel is grabbing footholds in parts of Russia and parts of Ukraine because of this conflict. Mm. And I wonder if the whole world is going to drive in a direction because of this thing, which is, I'm not saying that God made it happen, but these things, we might be praying for it to end and God might have bigger plans for us in mind, allowing it to happen for a period of time. And then he'll cut it off when, when the time is right. Mm -hmm. So that's hard for us to believe, but it's very, very true. And it's something that has proved itself over and over again, at least in my life. And it has in yours too. So. All right. Well, thank you for listening. We love you guys. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Yamcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Remember to check us out on all the socials like Instagram at the Yamcast. We love to hear back from you guys. So please leave us a comment or a review and we might even send you guys a sticker. Also, if you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com.